what I want to share, I feel probably is a bit more, it's, uh, it's not really Bible exposition, I want to just share something of, that's on my heart this morning and just sitting down feels probably a bit more appropriate than preaching at you this morning. Um, before I read the Word of God, I just want to say, um, for what it's worth, that I'm incredibly encouraged with the church and incredibly encouraged with the direction that you're going. It's lovely to see new faces here today, um, as well as old faces, or older faces. I can't <laughs> couldn't believe just watching the children go out. They're growing, aren't they? It's like... Um, but really, I'm really encouraged. Everything I hear encourages me about what God's doing in the church. And I have little catches up with Dave from time to time. And from my perspective, I think the idea of pursuing a closer relationship with something like Vineyard is great. I'm really behind that. And also to try and get some extra hours in, you know, to help um, Dave and the team who are very busy. I think that's great as well. My only not proviso, the only thing I would say is keep watching your heart. The thing that God disliked about uh, Israel was when they said, give us a king. Um, and it was because they wanted to look like other nations. And that grieved God. And so I am totally, totally in favour of making sure that you, you seek. I think that's right. But just keep checking your heart that you're not doing it just so that we are like the other nations. And also, don't expect an external organisation to do what only God can do. Don't sort of think, well, if we get linked into Vineyard, we will then, everything will then, or if we employ another person, then everything will be fine and I can sit back. Um, so just keep, keep your eye on your heart. But I think it's so, so very, very encouraging, and I think it's wonderful. And I always personally, it's only my feeling, I always felt that if we were going to join a network, the vineyard would probably be a good fit for the Three Counties Church. I think there's a, a, lot, of, um, a lot of resource out there, but I think there's also quite a lot of space for individuality and for each church to fill out its own identity, which is not the same with some networks where... If you go into some churches, you know exactly this must be a... I won't use any names, but um, this must be a so-and-so church because there's something about it. Whereas I think with Vineyard, there's a lot of space to be continue to be yourself. So that's, um, that's my feeling on that, and um, I think it's wonderful. So if we let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 24, very well-known story. Can I also say he's not here, but I think Dave and Roe are doing an amazing job. I think, I think I can't believe the grace of God in terms of transition. I think it's just, it thrills me. I'm a bit tearful today. <laughs> Don't worry, I was like that for 34 years. <laughs> Luke chapter 24, verse 17, he asked them, What were you discussing together as you walk along? 
They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem and you do not know the things that have happened in these days? What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers uh, handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. And in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them that what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognised him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while we talked, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And then just very quickly, um, first few verses in 2 Corinthians Chapter 1, 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, and verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. For just as the suffering of Christ flow over into the lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. The word um, bereavement is a very uh, emotive word. And uh, it's a word that we're almost frightened to take on our lips. We know that there are courses about it. We know that there are books written about it. And we know that it's an incredibly uh, sensitive subject. It's a subject that we often feel disqualified from talking about unless we have been through what we would class as the most severe kind of Bereavement, And we sort of feel we can't really say anything about this subject because there are some people who've been through, through such horrendous bereavement that we feel totally disqualified to, to say anything about this subject. And um, I think, it, and I can understand it, and I think we're probably right, I think we tend to, in our minds, we tend to grade bereavement. We tend to think of bereavement in terms of categories. And so if we see a lamppost with a football scarf tied to the lamppost and some fading flowers, 
we immediately think this is top-level bereavement. We can almost picture the, the police coming to a family home in the middle of the night to tell them about their 18-year-old son whose motorbike has gone out of control. And, and we think of that and we think this, this, is, this is real bereavement. A cop death. A seven-year-old girl who loses her fight against leukaemia in Great Ormond Street. That is... When we think about bereavement, we're thinking that that's bereavement. The death of a young wife leaving three children, that is, that's real, this is top level bereavement. A father who leaves two teenage children, that's tragic, but it's not quite as bad, is it, as leaving little children. That's the way that we begin to think. A married woman who loses her husband in her 30s is a real bereavement issue. If they've had 35, 40, 50 years together, maybe it's not quite such a big, not quite such a big bereavement. To lose a parent at the age of eight is tragic. To lose a parent in your 30s, well, maybe that's sort of partly expected. So we tend, to, we tend to grade bereavement, I think, and the danger is that we can, if we're not careful, create an environment where we fail to recognise the depths and the journey of the individual. So for a single person to lose their dog might actually be quite a long way up there. Um, and we must continually think about the individual. And so I wish sometimes we could find another word for it. I wish we could find a word for, you know, top-level bereavement and this sort of lower-level bereavement. And, but we could never do that, could we? Because we'd constantly be trying to work out, well, where, where, where do we pitch that? And we'd be in the same dilemma. And so for bereavement, there needs to be two things. There needs to be, first of all, there needs to be attachment. There is something that you're attached to. There's something that you, that you love, something that means something to you. So we start with attach, attachment, but then there is loss. And when you get this close attachment to something, and then you get this loss, that's what leads to these feelings of bereavement. And the reality is the greater the attachment, the more severe the loss. The more you are attached to something, the greater the feelings of bereavement when you go through loss. And I am aware this morning that I'm speaking on a very sensitive subject and um, I know a lot of you have been through a lot of bereavement and loss and I'm not lightly speaking on this subject this morning I'm aware that it, it will touch um, it will touch touch us and I think that's what God wants to do this morning I think that's something which God wants to permission this morning and so this thing of this thing of bereavement is not simple it's not it's different for every single person does a woman who's been happily married does a woman who's happily married 
been wonderfully happily married for 30, 40, 50 years, does she grieve more than a woman who has been unhappily married and loses her husband? Well, that's not a simple question because one lady is grieving the depth of missing this wonderful person that she shared her life with, but another person might well be grieving because she's not only lost her husband, but she's lost all the hope that she had of a very, very happy marriage. She's got, she's got bereavement issues of a, quite a different nature, actually. Because a lot of our attachment is not only, it's not only real and material, some of it is in terms of our hopes and our dreams. And sometimes those things are almost unseen and unsaid. So for a single person who would long to have got married, they might well experience a deep sadness that they can't really understand, but it's a bereavement, but it's not a bereavement of a person, it's a bereavement of a something. These people walking to Emmaus, they said, we had hoped. We had hoped. And so there is this, this complex issue of bereavement. Is death worse than divorce? Who can tell? And so I just want to say that it's such an extremely personal thing. And that's why we need to be so, so careful how we journey with each other. And we need to understand the importance of journeying with the individual in their particular loss. And so I want to say something this morning about what I would describe as this, what we'd probably call this lower type of loss and the accompanying feelings of bereavement. And I want to do it because I think it's important, I think it's a subject which um, we're all touched with, and I think it's a subject which um, certainly Hazel and I have experienced in this last 18 months. Since leaving Hazelmere, um, particularly the last year the first six months was like this is rather nice <laughs> the last year particularly has been a very very difficult time for Hazel and I and uh, we have experienced deep feelings of loss and uh, we've come to see them as a low level form of bereavement we've missed individual people we've missed you, all of you that we know we've missed a sense of community we've missed involvement in ministry I have missed preaching incredibly uh, we were watching Call the Midwife the other night <laughs> sort of thing you do when you're retired <laughs> we were watching Call the Midwife and um and, you know, it was like it always is a really nice, sort of lovely, heartwarming. And we watched it, and uh, I think I went off and made a drink and, and thought, well, that was a... And uh, I caught up with Hazel a short time after, and I said, are you all right? She said, no, she said, I'm struggling. I said, what, what, what? Well, I, I don't know, I think it was two weeks ago, the final scene of, of Call the Midwife was the doctor and his wife, who are incredibly involved in, you know, everything revolves around them, and they're almost too squeaky nice. And um, <laughs> But anyway, uh, 
It ended up with them going to watch The Sound of Music and then on the way back stopping at a chip van and getting some chips and they were just standing at the end eating these chips. I said to Hayes, she said, she said I, it just undid me. She said there was a couple who were at the heart of the community working as a couple together in the heart of the community and all of a sudden it evoked something in Hazel something that she was missing something that she wasn't feeling that that we didn't feel that we were in the same way in that heart of the community and and so you never quite know how this thing's going to hit you or when it's going to hit you and um, not only have we been incredibly missing Hazemir in ministry it's raised big issues about identity, purpose, and it's led to times of real sadness. I think at the same time we've been <coughs> going through what a lot of you have, the whole empty nest syndrome, um, with Grace in Spain and Andrew now, you know, actually moved, not just at university, uh, but actually moved to Plymouth and got a job there, and you think he's not likely to come back and live at home and and so there are you know that sounds terrible doesn't it to talk about that in the midst of real bereavement but that's the way it was that's the way um, we find it at times I was watching the news the other day and I I saw um, there was a report of some some guy who'd been sent to prison for multiple child abuse and I was sad at obviously the storyline but all afternoon I was like I had this deep sadness and I couldn't understand it I thought where's this sadness coming from and I realised that in the face of evil whenever I preached I always felt that in some small way I was confronting evil when I stood here on a Sunday morning I was, I was promoting holiness I was seeking to promote a community that lived with different values. I I always felt that in some way it's tiny, it's little, it it doesn't make much difference, but in some way it always felt like, do you know what, when I stand up and preach on a Sunday, I am doing something to confront the paedophile, I'm doing something to challenge evil. And all of a sudden, this afternoon, I thought, the reason you're sad, Jonathan, is because you don't feel you've got that opportunity anymore. You've lost that platform. Hopefully, in my day-to-day conversation with people, I'm still hoping to promote holiness, but it seemed like I could do it on a slightly bigger scale. And I've lost that. And it was like, I was sad. Now, I want to share this this morning, because I think... Probably all of us go through this far more than we realise that we do. Far more of the time. Now I want to say, um, it's not in any way that we are ungrateful for where we are. The people where we've gone to have been absolutely amazing. Remember when Paul arrived on the beach at Malta, he says, we experienced unusual kindness... It's a lovely phrase, actually. And we in Petworth have received unusual kindness. We're living in an incredibly beautiful part. We have no... There's no issues about whether we made the right decision. 
There is in no way, do we any way feel like, you know, well, you lot, you haven't done very well. We're feeling sad and you, we haven't, we have felt incredibly loved by you and, and, and we have felt incredibly blessed to be able to continue to pop in occasionally. So we're not ungrateful, we're not complaining, we're not asking for pity, we're not in any way critical, we, we, but we're just at times sad. Just sad. Really sad. And um, and that's why I read to you Luke chapter 24, because the reason I think I feel that I can share this this morning, because I'm, you know, I'm on the journey. I'm, I'm part way there. Um, although I don't guess we ever get there. Because here are two people who are downcast and sad because they love Jesus and they'd become attached to Jesus and they had hoped and they'd look forward to the future and then Jesus is killed. And as they walk along, they are going through deep feelings of bereavement because they have been attached and now they have lost. And I just want to suggest four things very quickly uh, this morning. The first is this, try to get into the habit of realising what is going on and naming it. Try to get into the habit of realising what is going on and naming it. Do you know what? I think this church has always been pretty good at getting in touch with its feelings. We've been a quite a feely church. We've known what we're feeling. We've been able to verbalise it. I want to encourage you both as a church but also individually to get into the habit of realising what is going on and naming it. What Jesus did, he helped these disciples to verbalise what it was that was going on in their hearts. As they walked along there was a vague sadness and a low level depression. But a few well-directed questions from Jesus helped them to identify what it was that was really going on inside of them. And so they end up by saying, but we had hoped. Well, that was a very good thing to be able to say, well, this, this is where we were going, and we had hoped. And they began to verbalise what it was that was making them downcast and sad. Do you know, as we get older... Um, but I think it happens to a certain extent with when you're younger as well. Um, there is a sadness because you can't always do what you used to do or what you want to do. Your hearing goes. Your eyesight goes. Your strength goes. And you know what? It's legitimate to mourn those things. It's important to recognise what's going on inside of you. It might be changes in the church. It might be a style of worship. I won't tell you who, but somebody sent me an email last week to say, um, you couldn't get them to do a hymn, could you? (laughs) Thankfully, I didn't even say anything, but we had a hymn this morning, didn't we? (laughs) It might literally be that. You come to church, you're sad because there's something which was part of your history, your worship, and you think, I've lost it. I was attached to something. Might be relationships. People move away. 
People change. People who are single get married and the nature of their relationship to their... It changes. It's got to change. You can feel sad. It might be things that are happening in society. You look out and you're sad. You don't really know why. But it's wonderful when you can begin to analyse and understand what it is that's making you sad. I'm partly on my road to recovery... Um, no, I don't like that word because it makes... Anyway, I think you get what I mean. I'm, I'm on my way partly because I've started to be honest and name it and recognise it and journal it. Not allowing a vague sort of sadness to hang over me but to begin to identify what is it. I found myself in absolute floods of tears um, a little while back in the autumn, literally sobbing and thinking, what on earth is that about? Thinking it was probably related to preaching in Hazemere because I'd already been working through that and then all of a sudden I realised it was Andrew. It was like, I am missing this guy. I didn't think I was going to get married and then when we got married we were told we weren't going to have children And then Andrew came along. And it was like, wow. And I absolutely loved being a dad. Loved it. Still am. (laughs) And still loving it. But it was like, I can't believe this. So I want to encourage you this morning to begin to understand and recognise what is it that you're sad about. It's a very, very important thing. The second thing I want to say to you is recognise that what you're feeling is not wrong. Do you know, we can feel so guilty because compared to other people we've got nothing to be sad about. This has been one of our struggles, Hazel and I, you know, we've got health and strength. We're living in an absolutely beautiful place. We're, we've got a reasonably comfortable lifestyle. We've got healthy children. And, and it's like, we shouldn't be feeling like this. You know, we, 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 this is wrong. We, 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 we must just press this down. One of the things I've had to realise, which has been very helpful for me, is that actually the, the depth of your feelings of loss are an indicator of your, your, the, the attachment that you had. If you lose a paper cup, you don't cry. The depth of our attachment is indicated by what we feel when we lose it. And one of the things I've realised is how deeply I loved you lot and how deeply attached I was and how much I loved ministry and how much I loved being involved in people's lives and journeying with them. And it made me realise how much. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so glad. I've realised, and I'm not blowing my own trumpet, I've realised that I was a pastor and not a hireling. I wasn't in this for money. 
John says a hireling will flee. A hireling will leave a church and not feel anything. But what you feel is an indication of what you really had. And that leads you to profound thanksgiving and thankfulness. And so I want to say to you this morning that it's not wrong. And it's quite legitimate to mourn a loss, however it might appear to other people. Don't allow other people to define what you should be feeling. Don't allow other people to tell you how long it should go on for. Some people say, well, you know, I should be over it. I was talking to somebody who's been bereaved recently and they said, you know, well, we should be over it by now. I said, who's telling you that? You cannot allow people to determine what you have lost and your attachment and how that affects you. The third thing I want to say very quickly, because we want some space just to be in God's presence, the third thing I want to say is embrace it. Embrace it. Your feelings of loss are for real. And you know, they're not helped by denial. They're not helped by suppression. They're not helped by distraction. Call the midwife can only take you so far. (laughs) You'll have to turn it off at some point and face what's really going on. It's not helped by instant replacement. I'm wondering whether that's actually why I really haven't haven't really had a great appetite although I've missed preaching incredibly I haven't had a great appetite to preach again at the moment instant replacement doesn't doesn't deal with the issue of loss and you can't recreate the past for those of us who in some way are acquainted with depression We've had to learn, haven't we, that you have to embrace it. For some mornings, you just have to say, I'm feeling a bit depressed today. And um, I'm learning to embrace sadness, not to to push it away. There are times, of course, we make decisions where today I'm going to do so-and-so, so-and-so, But if you're sad this morning, if you're bereaved, embrace it. I'm I'm sad today. It's one of those days. And then the final thing, obviously, make sure that you journey with Jesus through this season of grief and bereavement. Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and he drew near and he walked with them. And actually, the the journey with Jesus was transitional. Because they're going in one direction, and they commune with Jesus, and at some point they find there is a moment of turnaround. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And he introduces, in the midst of their bereavement, some hope. 
and they begin to realise that there is a future still and it's going to look different and it might be different but there is a future because Jesus is constantly creating and Jesus is the resurrection and the life and when we journey with Jesus there come moments of transition and so I want to encourage you this morning to, to journey with Jesus the, the, the metaphor of journey is great in terms of grief and bereavement it's quite helpful that there are twists and there are turns and there are some roadblocks and there are some painful uphill struggles but there are also occasional turning the corner and seeing a new view and when you travel with Jesus he transforms this journey of bereavement Jesus promised his disciples blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted and so as we journey we are constantly looking for the comfort that Jesus brings struck me the other day that when Elijah was down um, that God gave him two things he gave him rest and he gave him food I thought that's interesting maybe comfort food is not altogether bad (laughs) comfort food gets a bad press (laughs) but sometimes comfort food's alright I think as long as you know where it's come from and what it's for Comfort comes in many, many shapes and many sizes. And so keep your eyes open for the little touches of grace that God gives you. Psalm 119 says, May your unfailing love be my comfort. May your unfailing love be my comfort. And that's why I read to you 2 Corinthians 1, because he is the father of compassion, the God of all comfort. So I think that's me finished, but why have I shared this this morning? What would I like the outcome to be? If I could leave a deposit this morning, what would the outcome be? The first thing would be this. I want to permission some of you to mourn. I want to permission some of you to mourn. It's all right. That might not just be for the obvious cases this morning, but there's probably some of you here this morning you are mourning things that you haven't really before recognised. And I want to permission you this morning to mourn. It might be a hope that you've lost. Something that you're, you haven't even had the courage to recognise it and name it. I want to permission you this morning to mourn. And I want a second thing I'd like to leave this morning. I'd like to train some of you to become more conversant with what's really going on inside of you. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? Why are you cast down? Why are you discomforted within you? What is it? I'd like just encourage you to be more conversant with what's going on. And the final thing I'd love to do this morning, I'd like. I'd love to be able to encourage a number of you to become somebody who can comfort others with the comfort that you've received. Do you know there is a, there's a lot of pain out there? I mean, there's a lot here. There's a lot here. There's a lot here. There's an awful lot of pain out there. Maybe we as church, we need to know how to help those to journey, with, to become incarnational 
to become Jesus to people who are hurting and to journey with them that they might know the love of God. Maybe you have been comforted. Paul says it's with the comfort that we've received that we go out and comfort others. So bless you. And um, thank you for listening.